Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Just just think of me as like a, a, a distant cousin that you haven't met yet. So I'm, I'm back at the family reunion. Hi, we're related. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, a teaching pastor at Hillsong Church, and um, uh, this is the Hillsong Family Church, so we're family, so I'm going to share, I'm not going to speak like I'd speak at another church, I'm going to share like a family um, message uh, this morning. Um, so it's a, it's a message, it's about building, and it's a message that's, uh, you know, that like, it's something that I would only say to family. You hearing me? Okay, so we're just going to get into it. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to go for it. Does that sound good? Okay. Uh, Holy Spirit, help me. Amen. Okay. It's a good prayer. Um, so I- I'm married to an Australian. Uh, her name is Jasmine. She's awesome. We've been married for six years, and uh, we... Uh, we're in that stage of marriage right now. <clears throat> Tim Keller says this. It usually takes about five to ten years to find out that you're not married to the person that you thought that you were married to. Yeah. So we're in that year six. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like, you like spaghetti? <laughs> I thought you hated spaghetti, right? Um, and the, the reason for this is because Tim Keller says that we're control freaks and we project onto other people the idealized partner and we don't listen to them. And so, it, you know, finally, after about five, six years of them screaming, I hate spaghetti, do you realize that you're hearing me, right? And the way that relationships are supposed to work is through self-definition, right? So, like, I don't come into a relationship and I tell you what you like or what you're about. I'm supposed to listen to you, imagine that, and write patiently. And then you self-define and you tell me what you're about. You're hearing me, Right? Um, and so it's, it's interesting because we kind of do this to God. We, um, we project onto him, you know, like what he's supposed to be like. Um, when really he's revealed in his word and the scriptures are actually just God's self-revelation of himself. It's like, hi, this is who I am. I hate spaghetti, you know. <laughs> That's literally what the Bible is. So um, anything else is just an idol that you've created and it's not, it's not really him. So we do this in human relationships, in the most intimate relationships, and we also do this to God, uh, which is hilarious, and it's another message entirely, but I'm getting warmed up here, okay? So we're just hedging this in here. Um, Now, in in a relationship, so for example, I'm learning, so we're in that process of, you know, borders coming down, uh, you know, and, and communication improving, and I'm listening and discovering more about who Jasmine is. And let me tell you, I mean, you married couples. Anybody married for less than five years? You brave souls. <laughs> totally, I'm in the battle with you, okay? I'm just a year ahead, but, like, we're just discovering, right? Like, still discovering. And, um, and um, so one of the things that they say, how many people have been married for longer than five years? Okay, we're the people that have been married for 10 years, though. Yeah, you're the pros. Okay, so you guys, you can judge me on this one. Okay, so, so apparently in marriage, this is what you're supposed to do. 
okay? What you're supposed to do is, right, so you get past that five to ten year thing where you begin to, like, allow the other person to self-define. You begin to discover that they hate spaghetti. And then what you begin to do is you begin to find out what they love, right? Not just what they hate, but also what they love. And then, and this is going to blow your mind, what you're supposed to do then is then you do what they love. <laughs> right? Like, so we have these love languages, apparently, according to some guy named Gary. <laughs> and I'm supposed to love my wife with her, like, so I have a love language, she has a love language, and I find out what she loves, and I find out her love language, and then I love her in her language, right? It's complex, but it's not. It's actually simple, but it's hard. It's like the most impossible thing to do because I don't want to love my wife the way she wants to be loved. I want to love her the way I want to be loved. And therein lies the problem, right? Okay? So my wife is Australian, which means that she loves to eat toast. Okay? I don't know. I don't get it. But Aussie cafes are coming to America, let me tell you. They're all over New York now. Australians, they love, like, thick-cut toast, and they love avocado on top of it, you know, with, like, oil or I don't know. My wife is into that. Now, in Canada, or more specifically, even in the Northeast, in New York City, for example, like, toast is essentially garbage. Right? Like, toast is, it comes on the side, right? Nobody ever orders toast in this country. Right? Much less in Canada. Like it comes, you eat the good stuff first, you leave the toast for last if you're still hungry. Me personally, I wipe my hands and my face with toast and I throw it on the garbage where it belongs. Are you hearing me? So I, it doesn't, does not compute, right? But she, Jasmine loves toast. So the way that I love my wife is by getting her avocado toast. Right? That's not, that's not what I would necessarily, that's not my knee jerk, right? So I've had to learn, okay, she likes that, so then we're going to, you hearing me? Okay, my wife, uh, she likes many wines, as Aussies do, okay? Uh, but she prefers to drink a Pinot Noir, okay? That's her jam. Well, it's, it's emphatically not mine. Okay, uh, I, I'm more of a, a, a jammy cab salve guy, okay? I like a California cab salve, okay? I want it to explode in my mouth, right? It's jam, it's explosions, it's jammy, it's yummy, it's full-bodied, right? That's my, that's my vibe. My wife likes that neutral, like, and Pinot Noir is a, is a very neutral grape, okay? And, and you, so neutral, in fact, that you can taste the ground that it was grown in. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, okay? And then on top of that, if you, when you put your nose in a glass of Pinot Noir, on the nose it smells like a freshly opened pack of tennis balls. <laughs> you know that smell? It's a good smell, but not when you're drinking something. You know what I'm saying? Like, or freshly cut garden hose. That's Pinot Noir. So essentially it's dirty, rubbery water. Right? But, but that's what my, my wife, now she'll, she'll have a cab sab, right? And she won't complain. But she prefers a Pinot Noir. You following me here, right? So what do I do as a loving husband? I bring her home the avocado toast and the Pinot Noir. You hearing me? 
And today I want to talk to you about giving God the Pinot Noir. I want to talk to you about that today. That's where we're headed. Now, would you agree with me that it's perfectly reasonable that my wife has personal preferences? Like, would you agree with me? Like, okay, they might be strange. She might like dirty, rubbery water, right? And toast, who eats toast, right? But it's perfectly reasonable that people have preferences. You agree with me, right? Okay. God is a person. He's not a cosmic, impersonal force. He's a person. He's very clear in his word that he's a person. And he has preferences. And so what we need to do is, by the way, you were in a relationship. Okay, sure. Let's talk about how we're in a relationship with God. If you've been on Facebook for any amount of time, you've probably seen somebody rant about how it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Okay, let's go there. Are you sure you want a relationship instead of a religion? Because relationships are so much harder. I've been married for six years and I am dying. (laughs) It's work, right? Dude, you can't mail in a relationship. Women are smart. They're on to us. Right? Like, relationships, are they're work. You got to work at it, and you have to find out. It's, they're humbly going to find out what they love, and then you got to serve them. It, right? It's a religion. Like, I'll take a religion any day over a relationship. Okay? And what do you do in a relationship? You find out with that person. Are you following me here? So we're in a relationship with God. So the onus on, is on us to find out, to listen, to find out what he likes, and then to love him the way that he wants to be loved. You hearing me? Yes. Okay. So that's what we're supposed to do. God is a person. He has preferences. He's a king. He deserves those preferences. He rules well. He's the best king ever. Okay. So he deserves um, his, perf- his, his preferences. If we, were, if we were, you know, in Canada, I'd say, or, or in Australia, we're the commonwealth. We got the queen. You know, if the, I would say if the queen, you know, came in, we'd observe certain decorum, right? And she, yeah, 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 we would. Yeah, and she deserves it, right? Yeah, 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 good queen. Yeah, totally. So God is a king, right? And he deserves certain decorum and, and, and his preferences because he's, he's good. He's worthy of it, right? You hearing me? And we're in a relationship with him, and he's already given so much, right? Like he's leaned into this relationship. And he's given his only son who suffered and died for us. So, yeah, I think that we should lean into the relationship, right? Okay, let's take a look at some passages of Scripture here. And we're going to continue to tease out this thought. Uh, First passage here uh, is in Psalm 141, verse 2. Psalm 141, verse 2. Now, if you're taking notes, by the way, the title of this talk, it's a strange one. I think we might have it on the screen. Um, So if we do have it on the screen, let's just show the title of this talk. Do we have it? Yod with Kabod. Okay? Now, I'll just explain it really quick, and then we're going to jump to Psalm 141. Um, It's two Hebrew words. I can explain what they mean. Um, But I think that sometimes we do things as Christians, and it's like the, the mechanism loses its meaning. I'm 36. I've grown up in church. And to be honest with you, I think probably three or four years ago, I was just in, you know, in services in New York, you know, seven, eight services a day, you know, and like you're just sitting there and like, why do we do, like, 
what is this, Christian karaoke, what we're doing up in here? You know what I mean? And so um, I kind of, this, this study, uh, I just felt like fresh eyes. And um, my wife and I, by the way, we love Disneyland. We moved to, to, to California. I, I don't know why I'm doing this, but we're, let's do this. Um, I want to show you, I want to show you something that's very precious to my heart, Jill. Jill, I think you need to get one of these. It's just, maybe it's prophetic. Here. Okay, this is, this is my Disneyland annual pass. Okay, there's Mickey, there's Donald, and there's Pluto. Okay? It's important stuff. And uh, my wife and I, I grew up, you know, watching Disney, and my wife grew up watching Disney, so we love Disney. And, and so when we go to Disneyland, like, every stone is magical, right? I know all the songs. I got gaz- gadgets and gizmos aplenty, right? I got who's it's and what's it's galore. Thingamabobs? But who cares? No big deal. I want more, right? I love Disneyland. Nothing's wasted on us because we know the story behind everything, and we know the songs behind everything. And so when you know the story and and there's meaning behind things, things are magical. And church should be magical for a Christian, but sometimes we forget what things mean and why we're doing things, sometimes because we've just done them so many times and we just kind of forgot. So Yad with Kabbat is somewhat of a microcosm of the message. What does it mean? Well, we'll find it at the end of this message, and then hopefully <laughs> we'll have a bit more meaning, and church should be magical. Okay, let's get back to Psalm 141. All right. Psalm 141, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. This is David here, uh, and he's, he's most likely separated uh, from Maybe he's in the wilderness. Some scholars think that maybe he wrote this on his wilderness journey. He had this longing for the courts of God. He just loved worship. He loved being in the house of God. And so he begins to talk to the Lord in this, this psalm, and he begins to use some of the imagery from the tabernacle. He talks about the, the incense. There was incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant, right? Yeah. You, like, you open it, and it melts Nazis' faces off. <laughs> that Ark of the Covenant. Great movie. Okay, so it's, it's in the Holy of Holies. The ark was the, the throne of God on earth. Okay, it was this resting place between the two cherubims. Pretty cool stuff. And this, it was in this little, this holy place with a curtain in front of it. And right in front of that curtain, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, there was this table with incense. And that, that table of incense just would, would perpetually burn. And we find out in the book of Revelation that the, the tabernacle is actually kind of like a, it's sort of like a, a, a Barbie doll house. You know, like a Barbie doll house isn't a real house. It's just, um, a, you know, a, a small version of a real house, right? Meant to reflect what reality looks like. So in heaven, like the prayers of the saints are actually the incense. And the incense was just a typology, right, that was sort of anticipating the kind of access that you and I have. There's no, there's no curtain anymore, and our prayers literally go up in, in front of the throne of God. And so David is tapping prophetically into what you and I are experiencing right now in this openness in our relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And so he's going, God, like, I just had this yearning. I'm not at your temple right now, but God, let my prayer, like when, I, when I'm talking to you, Lord, would that be counted as incense before you, right? Like not even knowing, but led by the Spirit and writing this beautiful psalm. He's desiring intimacy. And then he says, and the lifting up of my hands, 
Like, God, I can't bring the sacrifice to you because David had this revelation, man, like I'm in a relationship with God and nothing in my relationship with him is ever going to be cheap. Like, I understand relationship and it should cost you, you know? And so God, like, I don't have... I don't want my worship to ever not cost me something because I want you to know that my heart is in it. But God, let the lifting up of my hands, because I can't be at the temple right now, but when I lift my hands to you, like as I'm praying to you, Lord, let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Like it's something that you require, but but it's something that pleases you and blesses your heart, and you see that there's cost into it. It's just something about hands that God likes. And David kind of tapped into it. Lord, let that be the sacrifice. The Hebrew word for hand is yod. Hebrew word for hand is yod. And you've probably heard the term yada before. If you have a hand, would you just for just just for fun, would you just put it just put a hand at me like this, kind of like you? That's great. And now now just wave your hand like that. That's yada. Yada, so yad is the hand, and yada means to wave the hand, literally. Uh, but you've heard the term yada before. You probably just haven't heard it in its Hebrew. You've heard it in its English transliteration of Judah. Judah, okay? Judah is a, is a, is a, a proper name. It, it, it literally means praise, though. Okay, so Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, right? You got Judah Smith. You have different Judas, okay? <laughs> okay. But it literally means praise. And so in the Hebrew, uh, praise for them always involved the hand. Because it literally meant waving of the hand. You hearing me? Okay. So let's, let's go into the New Testament. And in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to uh, develop this thought here. Um, right out of Psalm 141. And it begins to use this this beautiful prophetic thought. Let's, let's take a look at it. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. Through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, a sacrifice of yada to God. Most scholars believe that the reason why the Greek in the book of Hebrews is so strange and technical and different than the rest of the Greek in the, in the New Testament is because it was most likely written in Hebrew first. It was an encyclical letter uh, to the Hebrew diaspora. And so seeing it as it was written in highly technical Hebrew, it would have been translated into highly technical Greek. But this term, sacrifice of praise, it would have been a sacrifice of yada to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we see hands going up and we see lips and prayers going up. That, that exact imagery of Psalm 141. Pretty cool stuff. That, that idea of sacrifice, right, from Psalm 141. Hands being involved. The incense being involved. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, or some versions say that give thanks to his name. Uh, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices, there it is again, are pleasing to God. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I've always kind of wondered, like sacrifices, like what are we talking about? Like sacrifice sacrifices? Like are we going to bring a goat up in here and like, you know, <laughs> kill it or something? Like, no, we're doing that in the next service. Couldn't get the goat in this morning. Uh, <laughs> no. So, so, so let's talk about sacrifices for a second as, as Christians, right? Just as family here. So, so sacrifices. So there's one unique uh, once and for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ, yeah. 
who was offered once and for all. It's a unique sacrifice that covers all of our sins. We don't sacrifice anymore uh, for the forgiveness of sins because sacrifices actually never really did that, uh, firstly. Um, and secondly, uh, that Jesus is that once, like he was sinless, he perfectly obeyed the Father. He's the once and for all sacrifice. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are in right standing with the Father, right? So, so that's, right? that's the only sacrifice that a, that a Christian needs to be in right standing with God. But from that righteousness, that position of righteousness and relationship with the Father, we continue to bring sacrifices. The New Testament is actually full of sacrifices. There are sacrifices that a New Testament believer is supposed to bring, not because we, we, we're, we need God to do something, but because we're now on mission for God. You hearing me? It's completely different. So I'm not sacrificing for salvation. I'm sacrificing from salvation, right? I don't need God's grace. I'm sacrificing from his grace. You hearing me? Okay? Now, the reason why... The sacrifice terminology is really simple. Let's, let's, let's turn to the next passage of Scripture in, in 1 Peter. Peter says this, that you're a chosen race, that God's chosen you as, as a people group. You're now one people of God together. You're chosen. And you're a royal priesthood. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a priest. You're a priest. You're the priest. This is like, I feel like this truth here, I mean, uh, we celebrated... Uh, you know, the, the Reformation on, on, on uh, October 31st. But like 400 years ago, Martin Luther has like 95 problems with the Catholic Church. And one of them was that the priesthood was like the only way that people could connect to God. And so he's reading in the New Testament. He's going, I'm, everybody's the priest. I don't need a priest to connect me to God. I am the priest. The, the, the priesthood of the believer is like the most foundational Christian truth. It's what our church is built off of. We believe that you are a priest. And as a priest, see, it's a game changer. And this is why. It's a game changer because everywhere else that you go, you're a consumer. Everywhere else. Everywhere, right? Like everywhere else, you, you, know, you got your phone out and you're Yelp reviewing. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm, that waitress, she kind of had an attitude, so 4.9, <laughs> not a 5, right? You know, right? Like, that wasn't quick enough. That wasn't hot enough. That wasn't, you know what I mean, right? Like, you're a consumer everywhere you go. And so what can kind of happen sometimes is when you don't understand what you're doing up in here, you bring that attitude into church, okay? And the problem with that is you're not a consumer up in here. Okay? You're a priest. You hearing me? This is a, dude, this is a game changer. It's a game, this will change the way you see church. Because we're supposed to see church as priests. Like, I'm not here for me. I'm here for him and for his. It's a game changer. I don't come in and go, oh, you know, like, oh, worship was, um, it was, it was okay. It wasn't as good as last week. But, you know, I don't know who that person was that was leading, and none of my songs were sung. <laughs> right? You know, Yelp reviewing church. You're like, oh, that word was, I'd give it a 4.5. And that's being generous. You know, like, <laughs> dude. What do priests do? They minister to God and they minister to others, okay? So when I come to church, 
I'm not here for me. I'm here for him. I'm here to minister to the Lord, and I'm here to minister to other people. It's a game changer. You hearing me? All of a sudden, I'm a builder. God, what can I do? I'm here for you. I'm not here for me. I don't, it's irrelevant how the worship was. It's irrelevant how the word was. I'm here to minister to you. It doesn't matter what we're singing. I'm here to bless your name, to worship you. This is about you, God. This is, this is not the worship team. They facilitate your job as a priest. You hear? It doesn't matter what they're playing. You're like, I'm here. You got your head robes on. You got your little ring around the collar. <laughs> right? From the word go, you're just like, I'm bringing this. We used to sing this song when I was a kid. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. It was the worst song ever. Best theology, though, because we knew why we were at church. You hearing me? We need some more songs like that. Not like that, but like that. You hearing me, right? Where it's just like, I'm here. You know what I mean? It's like we weren't singing, I'm here for me and me alone. And can you serve me some more, right? We were going, I'm here. God, I'm here for you, and I'm bringing sacrifices. Okay, I'm a priest. I'm here to minister to you. I'm here to bless your name, minister to your heart, God. And after that, I'm going to find somebody to minister to today because I'm not, are you hearing me? What a game changer. I'm a priest. I'm here to minister, and I've not come empty-handed. God, I brought some things with me. Hebrews chapter 13 kind of outlined a couple. Talked about doing good, sharing what you have. And it talked about the sacrifice of praises, the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. And it involves your hands. You hearing me? Okay, I got three points because I'm a preacher and we only have three things to say at any given time. <laughs> okay, so my first point is that God wants yod. He wants yod. He wants hands. He wants you to bring the hands. Why? I don't know. I really don't. You know, why does Jasmine like Pinot Noir? Beats me, but she's getting it. You hearing me? Okay? That's my, so that's, that's got to be our attitude. My attitude's got to be like, because sometimes, sometimes we can get into this realm of like just trying to like logically understand, you know, like, well, we raise hands because people at soccer games raise their hands when they sing songs or, you know, like at a football game. No, no, we, we do it because that's what God wants. And he's, he, he says it in his word and it's really clear in his word prophetically and, and praise involves hands. And so God's just going, give me the Pinot Noir and you need to give him the Pinot Noir. You hearing me? So what he wants, so just do your job. You had one job, okay? <laughs> it was one. You're a priest. Just do your job in Jesus' name, okay? You know, bring the sacrifices. <laughs> I hope it's okay that I speak to you like this. We're family, remember? Who is this guy? It's, it's the lost cousin. He's back, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's go to our next verse here, uh, Psalm, um, Psalm 57. This verse is so cool. Uh, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. This is another psalm of David. So David is this, uh, gosh, we have his whole discography 
okay? He's a fantastic writer, uh, songwriter, prolific songwriter. You can read his songs in the, in the book of Psalm. And he, uh, in, in the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel, it talks about how David was so good at music and so anointed by God for, you know, and skillful and, um, that he would play and like oppressive spirits would leave like rooms when he would play. So this guy was a, he was the, he was the triple threat too. You know, like he was, he was a writer, he's a songwriter, he's like an arranger and a producer as well. You know, he produced music and had this whole tabernacle and just put musical things together and where he was obsessed with worship because he just loved the Lord so much. And, and um, so we see him here and he's kind of talking to himself. It's actually, this, this psalm to me is absolutely fascinating. He says this, my heart's steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Okay, great, we know that that's what you do. And then he goes, awake my glory, my glory. The Hebrew there uh, for glory is kabod. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. So he explains what his glory is. I'm going to worship you, God. Okay, awesome. Awake my glory. What's your glory? Well, you know what my glory is, dude. Like, it's, it's my harp. It's my lyre. It's, it's the highest flower of my being, man. Like, this is what I'm really good at. It's the work of my hands. My yacht is involved in my glory. Um, we all have a glory. We use, the Bible usually talks about God's glory, but David here is talking to his glory. He's going, God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to worship you with my kabod. In, in, in the Hebrew, so we translate the, the Hebrew word kabod as glory, but in the Hebrew, it, it just means weight. It means weight. And, and a kabod is, is actually, well, there's, there's many manifestations of your kabod, but for example, yeah, it's something that you're known for. Like David's like, yeah, my kabod is, it's my, it's my music, man. My music is my kabod. It's my weight. I'm a heavy, you know? <laughs> You know, like, he's a heavy musician, right? Like, is it, you know, have you ever heard that term? He's a heavy, you know? That guy can rip, you know? Um, <laughs> your kabod is, is, is when you walk into a room and somebody's like, who's that dude? And, and somebody will be like, oh, that dude, man, he owns uh, this, this uh, he's a mechanic, he owns this shop over here, and he crushes it. Guy's incredible. Take your, your cars to him. He will crush it, man. He's amazing, and he's a, he's a dad, and he's an amazing dad, and he's an incredible husband. This is his wife, and, and he's done this. Right? That's your weight, right? It's like when you come into a room and people are asking, people begin to talk about you. That's your kabod, right? It's what you're known for. Your kabod is the reason why somebody would call you on the telephone and ask you for advice. Right? It's your weight, right? Like it's, your, it's the highest flower of your being. Your kabod is also your spark and your dialed inness and your presentness. Uh, guys, your wife fell in love with your kabod. Remember that first? <laughs> that was actually good. Double entendre there. Um, and I mean, we're going to actually go there. Um, but, but you think about it. Um, on that first date, you remember that first date, guys, when we were like dialed in, you know what I mean? Like, don't want to miss a thing, Aerosmith, you know what I'm saying? Like, just hanging on every word, like I was just so like, I'm just, right? <laughs> That's what your wife fell in, she fell in love with your kabod, your dialed inness, your spark, right? I remember, um... I remember my first date, dude. I was like, whew. And that's one of the ways, by the way, that I love my wife is by listening to her psychotic dreams. 
That's real. That's not even, my wife, so I'm married to this woman who dreams every night. I don't remember my dreams, okay? But my wife dreams these psychotic dreams, okay? Like I was being chased by velociraptors, you know, like, okay? <laughs> like, dude, I will wake up and my wife will be mad at me because of something that I did in her dream. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we start the day. Great. You know what I mean? Like, I'll wake up and she's like, I'm like, what? She's like, you were main to man my dream last night. I'm like, I was here sleeping, minding my own beeswax. Anyways, you know, we'll be driving down the road. <laughs> we'll be driving down the road and she'll be telling me like, you know, I'm being chased by a velociraptor, you know, like something weird, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like I'm... Right, guys? Like, I'm listening. I'm asking questions after the thing. Right? Because I can't go, huh? Right? They don't like that. They want you to ask a question of what they just said. So I'm like, what happened next? <laughs> so laser focus, right? And, and then she'll be like, you know, da 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 And then I'll be driving because I'm trying to keep us alive. Right? I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But then I'll begin to, right, like, not focus and begin to disfocus. And then my wife will be like, idiot. You're like, right? Like, where are you? God's like a woman. I said it before. I'll say it again. God knows when you're not there. It's a relationship. God knows when you're not dialed in. God knows when you're not turned up. There's a girl at our, at our, on our staff in New York. She's administrative. She's like the glue that binds us, right? Like everybody's crazy at our offices in New York. She's just administrative. Her kabod at our work was the administration, right? Keeping, like being serious and all that stuff. I'd never really seen her much outside of work. About three years ago, four years ago, we're out for a staff Christmas party. And we're all just, you know, being crazy in New York, and we're dancing or whatever at this restaurant, and her song comes on. I've never seen her dance in my entire life, and she's not the type of person that you're going, oh, yeah, she clubs. You know what I mean? <laughs> so her song comes on, and she gets up, and she starts to dance, and it was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen <laughs> and the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. Do you know what I mean? Like, she turned up, right? You know that term, like, she turned up. Right, but she, it wasn't necessarily something that she was good at, but she was there. That's her kabod. It's like it's beautiful when people's hearts are in something, right? And sometimes in our worship, our kabod can be disconnected. So, for example, like maybe you're an incredibly articulate person, and if I gave you a pen and paper and I said, "Hey, this person's really going through it. Can you encourage them?" You could write something really beautiful, something so prophetic, and encourage them, and they'd leave, they'd read it, and they'd keep it, and they'd weep over it, and they'd read it. But like in our worship with God, sometimes that part of you is just disconnected, and that's your kabbalah, that's your weight. But there's nothing for the Lord. Maybe your kabod is your entrepreneurial. You, you know how to make money. God has given you your kabod, by the way. Right? Because all glory comes from him. He's the preexistent one. Any good thing in this world came from him. Right? So anything that's good in me, any kabod that I have, was just from him. 
And there's like a disconnect sometimes in our worship. You know, like there's a disconnect in your giving. Yeah, totally, I'm in the relationship with you, God. Yeah, but like you're holding that back and that back. God's like a woman, right? And he's just going, hey, I, I, yeah, I, I, I want, like for example, there can be two people in worship and they both have their hands lifted. That's good. God wants the yod, so we need to give God the yod. But God wants us to give yod with kabod. And there's two people, right? They both have their hands raised. One person, God, my, nothing's held from you. I'm in a relationship. Like, with my wife, joint bank accounts, honey. It is what it is. It's dangerous. But that's, that's intimacy. That's a relationship, right? Jasmine has access to everything in my life. And so the, the Lord's going, yeah, that's what I want too. Right? So one person's, God, complete access. My kabod, my time, my dialed inness. I'm not perfect. You know, like, I have a lot of continual repenting to do. Like, with my wife, I just like, oh, okay, babe, I'm back. I'm back listening, right? Like, man, when I worship, I'm like, you know, singing a song, and I'm like, I'm distracted every five seconds, but I need to keep bringing it back. You hearing me? You know, so I have two people, both giving God yod. By the way, we need to give him yod. It's what he wants. But one person giving him kabod, the other person not, and two radically different experiences. God wants Yod with Kabod. Now, it's my third point. When we give God Yod with Kabod, with that weight, like we give him our hands with, with our glory and our, there's no reserve, we get God with Kabod. We get God with Kabod. I'll give you an example. With my wife. When I bring home the Pinot Noir and the avocado toast, I get my wife's kabod. Hello. <laughs> That's real. Right? I'm listening. I'm engaged. I'm not mailing the relationship in. I experience her glory. You hearing me? Why do we think that it's not the same way with God? It's exactly the same way with God. James chapter 4, watch this. God's presence, yes, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, but his kabod is not. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How do you draw near to somebody who's omnipresent? Exactly. It's the whole point. Exactly. Yes, while he's omnipresent, his glory is emphatically not. And God can lean into a relationship. I don't want a relationship with God that I mail in and I don't experience his lean-in. And that's what can happen. Sure, you're a, sure you're saved, you're going to heaven, that's great. Okay, but you can also experience a lean-in from God. You can experience his presence. You can experience his game-changing lean-in. And you're, what would it look like if God turned up in the relationship? I certainly know what it's like when my wife turns up to the relationship. It's incredible. Right? What's it like if the Lord leaned in? Yeah, I'm going to get involved in that situation. Yeah, I'm going to get involved in this circumstance. I'm leaning in, Nate. Heaven is leaning into my life. It's markedly different. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your yod, you sinners. Purify your kabod, you double-minded. Repurpose them. 
See your hands as belonging to the Lord. And see your hearts and your kabod as belonging to the Lord. God, it's been for me, and now it's going to be for you. You hearing me? As you do that, the Lord begins to lean in. There's this principle. I'm going to end with this. There's this principle in the Old Testament. When you look at every sacrifice that pleased the Lord, there was a response from heaven. Right? Like every single time. Every single time that sacrifice pleased the Lord, heaven responds. The principle is really simple. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. And that's why I lift my hands and I give, and I give of my time, and I give of my money, and I give of my life, because every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. And now I can worship with a confidence which is the entire book of Hebrews. That's the whole point. I want you to worship with confidence, knowing that, yeah, you don't have a temple and you're not part of the Jewish system anymore, but you do have a God who's leaning in. And every time that you worship with confidence and you bring the sacrifices, you are sacrificing to God. And we know what happens when you sacrifice to the Lord and it's something that's pleasing to him. Fire comes down. 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 Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Now I can't wait to lift my hands and worship. I can't wait to give because it's my lean-in. And I know that as I'm leaning in, heaven is leaning in. And I'm going to meet with God. It's, it's coming. The fire is coming. Heaven is answering. You hearing me? This is the confidence that God wants you to have. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you, why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.